Footstep after footstep, you climb the rocky incline. You approach the mountain summit deep in the primeval jungles of Chile. You stare down into the crater before you, past the acrid smoke to the roiling molten core below. You are on the ashen lips of an active volcano. Your female companion at your side, you watch the swirling magma, waiting for something. Then, at last, you see it. Movement in the lava, something, something living, rising from the liquid rock and metal, shaking it off like a fresh bath and glowing red-hot itself. It turns its strange reptilian maw to the sky and bellows an otherworldly scream and demands sacrifice. You turn to your companion, kiss her goodbye, and shove her over the edge. The beast below rumbles with anticipation. It is time. To go to E Harmony? Is that the, like the, 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 is that the ad? Yeah, that's an E Harmony ad. Yes. You just sacrifice your loved one to a <laughs> volcano god? While they play xylophone music? Yeah, yeah. It's just like the old man from uh, Match or whatever your harmony is like, I we've mil- matched up millions of uh, potential sacrificers and new potential sacrifices. <laughs> uh, welcome to Paranoia Shop, everybody. I'm Chad. No, I'm not Chad. I'm Aaron. I don't know if that was a real flub or not. I'm Chad. And I'm Aaron. Uh, episode 15. 15 out of 15. I don't know what well, that means. Technically, there was that lost episode where the government made us take us down. So that was... Yeah. If that's you, 15 of 16 have made it. If you had downloaded it right at the moment we uploaded it, then maybe you got that secret episode. But if you did download it also, you should probably move to another state because the black fans are already coming for you. Check the deep web. Yeah, check the deep, check the deep web, which doesn't even exist anymore. They got most of it. They got most of it. Yeah, when the Silk Road went down. Uh, guys, anyway, welcome. We missed, we missed you. Welcome, episode one fifteen. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. not oh TV. shit! It's not TV. not TV numbering. It's fifteen. We're returning to probably my favorite topic. I'm not going to say that. That's kind of mean to the other topics. It certainly is one of our most popular topics ever. I and get we it. promised we were going to come back to it. I get it. Return to cryptozoology island. Episode fifteen. Cryptid. I do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> So, as you probably know, cryptozoology is the study of beasts or creatures that are rumored to have been seen, but uh, there's no concrete scientific evidence of their existence yet. It's also the term to use for yourself instead of saying, oh, I'm a monster hunter. You just say cryptozoologist. And it sounds way more official. You can actually get away with saying that at the bars for about like 30 more seconds before they ask you what that means. Yeah. And you just tell them you're a teacher. And then you say, oh, I I hang out in the woods and look for Bigfoot. Oh, that's so... Yeah, you don't... But you just kind of like mumble the Bigfoot part. Just hang out in the woods, you know? Just, like, do research and just look for Bigfoot. <clears throat> I have some pretty weird ones. I have some weird ones, too. We, last time we covered the Mothman. Uh, we covered the Goat Man. We, a, lot of, a lot of animal There men. was a Toad Man. There was yeah. a Toad Man. Animal Men. 
Uh, I went a little bit deeper on this one. I went more in the if our if our podcast is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think this is a little bit more in the Guardians of the Galaxy type realm. Yeah, or maybe I, Blade Three. I definitely went for like the really weird ones across the country, across the world. I hope we didn't pick the same ones. I doubt it. I doubt it. Well, I didn't them. do uh, Lava Tiki God that you did from your story. What well, is that all about? Okay, so that particular beast I was referring to is known as the Chiruf. It's a large anthropophagus mythical creature found in the Mapuche mythology of the indigenous people of South Central Chile. You just made up all of those words. <laughs> the Chiruf is that is a uh, a character from Chim Chimini, whatever that movie is with Chim Chimini Chiru. Uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with the flying car. No, wait, that's not right. Chim Chim Chiru. Is that no? Sp- that's Mary that, that's Mary Poppins. They're all kind of the same movie. So the Chiruf is an evil humanoid creature made of rock and magma. It's said that the Chiruf inhabits the magma pools found deep within Chilean volcanoes and are the source of earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. All earthquakes? According to the, the people of Chile. Okay. Uh, Chiruf are also said to be the source of magicians' ardent stones, which are meteorites and volcanic stones that cause damage in volcanic regions. They're tossed out. I guess they're monster poop, according this, to legend. But, all right, I'm going to say, this already sounds like a super overpowered crypto monster. Oh, yeah, it's super OP. It's lo- this lava is a monster. god. You're, you brought a demigod to us. Except, except it's not a god, because if you listen to this description, it's like, oh, it's actually like a creature. Okay. So, <clears throat> the only way to abate the Chiruf's appetite for destruction was to satiate the beast's taste for human flesh by throwing a sacrificial victim into the bowels of its volcanic home. Much like the European dragon, the Chiruf's preferred delicacy came in the form of virginal maidens. So it didn't have to be someone that you dated for a long time and loved for a long time. No, they just gotta be virginal, I guess. Okay, right. I just wanna make sure it doesn't have to also be... Can a guy be a maiden? I just wanna clarify this. For a future reference and also my own use. I think a, a guy is a manden. Um, that's not true. <laughs> I just made that. No, I think I just want to make sure because it just seems kind of shitty. Of like, uh, your story was great. I just want to make sure it's not like, oh, honey, let's go on our honeymoon. We've been saving ourselves for marriage. You're the one who has to go. Some investigators also consider the possibility that the legend of the Chiruf may actually be based, albeit loosely, on sightings of an actual biological entity which is capable of not only surviving but flourishing in the incredible heat of molten rock. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say dragon about, like, 20 words back? Yeah. Dragon? Some people think it might be uh, a, a, it's a dragon-like creature that sightings have apparently been made of this thing that lives in molten rock and okay. is able to sustain... I was picturing, like, a Fantastic Four thing-type body. No, it's like a reptile, like a fire salamander. That's not even fair at all. Okay. So, and apparently there's been sightings of this thing that, that sort of bubbles up from the, the magma and then goes back beneath, and they think that might be a loose basis for this legend of the Chiruf. So we're also looking at this as, just to think about its motivations, as a fire lizard monster, still saying it counts as a demigod, I think. It, I mean, right. I, it could be, but I'm it's just like, like if a god, it's, if if a it's god is a species. for... All earthquakes and eruptions, that sort of thing. I think that might be mythological. Well, yeah, unless there's a, a sacrifice given, that is showing some sentience to this thing. Yeah. Right? Like, that is, I am displeased, I will reach out and let these humans know how right. I feel. Right. So some people think that the Jeruf might be, like, a distantly related or parallel evolved to be like the creatures on the bottom of the ocean that live in heat thermal vents. You know, like tube worms or whatever. Okay. That can sustain really high pressure and, sure, and tube intensity worms. and eat minerals or whatever, but these live in lava. But there's also an alternate theory, which is that the original Mapuche legend that Jeruf was actually a giant snake 
that is a parallel to another snake that lives under the seafloor that generates sea quakes and tsunamis. But it's a separate monster. So there might it might be a relative of this other monster that the that the Mapuche people believe in. That feels like you're spinning that off of people already believed on the 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 Poochie the dog uh, people uh, <laughs> that they already are on on board the underwater underground monster. Like, like, well, so- this is his cooler, newer, redder. So, Brother monster. So you're saying that uh, that the Charouf is in fact the like the smoke to the Sub Zero of the guy I, I they think, already had. I think the Charouf is the, is the Shadow the Hedgehog to, <laughs> to the Sonic the Hedgehog of underwater earthquake monsters. Yeah. So some people think that it might be also related to uh, the Earth Goddess of the Mapuche people called Pachamama, <laughs> or, <laughs> Sorry, or maybe laughing your fake god. But <laughs> there's also the Minkokau, which is a giant earthworm. Oh, I like that way. Let's go back into more giant worms. And they think that all of these giant serpents might originally be uh, mythical explanations of natural phenomena and religious concepts. Giant earthworm, though, is the least cool of the monsters to worship and or believe in. Because dragon, yeah, badass, can eat you, whatever. Underground goddess woman, sure, but just a giant earthworm is still just like, oh, hey, guys, I'm just a giant earthworm. Watch out. Can't, Can't tell what end is my face and which one's my butt. Don't make fun of that giant earthworm. He'll make an earthquake on you. But, like, what does he... He doesn't even have a mouth, right? How do earthquakes eat? They have a mouth and a butt. That's all they have. But you can't even see it. It's hidden. (laughs) It lives in lava. (laughs) That was the Mapuche. No, that was the... The Poochie the dog. No. It was the... I got it in your head. The truth of the Mapuche people legend. I, I like the truth. I would like to take a hard veering from the from the Sheriff. Okay. Uh, uh, a little bit closer back to uh, the taste from the earlier cryptids. This is a lesser known American monster you might have heard of called the Flatwoods Monster. The Flatwoods Monster has described to be at least two feet tall with a black body and a dark glowing face. Now, the descriptions of it it's kind of bonkers, because you're like, ah, whatever, standard just humanoid. The head is elongated, shaped like a sideways diamond, and is having non-human eyes, and a large circular cowling appeared behind the head. So, I can't even picture that. You can't even picture he that. He has a diamond face that glows? It's a diamond face. You understand why these descriptions might come into play in a second. But it, it, he, he, he sounds like an Adventure Time character. I know. He sounds like, I am Prismo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It feels like a Prismo. Uh, some accounts record that the creature appeared to have have no visible arms due to its incredible speed, but other accounts have said that it has long, stringy arms protruding from the front of its body. So either it's so fast you can't see its arms... What does that even just, mean? Like, its arms are moving it so fast? Like, you, like ever, you, you ever do that thing where you just run around on the ground and you just keep your arms straight at your sides and you feel like a fucking idiot? <laughs> it would just be that, but no arms. So just imagine, like, a giant, like, humanoid thing just running around screaming. So it voice. has a diamond, a glowing diamond head, and it runs with its arms at its sides. I think it's time I show you the picture of the Flatwoods monster. It seems like it Which, just... of course, we will put up online. This is the closest depiction of the Flatwoods monster. What? It looks like... To describe it to you, it looks like someone took a small side character from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, this and is turned it into a, a, a monster. This is Salt Shaker with a light bulb head. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Okay, so this this monster, which I had never heard of before, what where is it found? Uh, Braxton County, West Virginia. <sighs> it's always in West Virginia. Yeah, the good old the good old woodlands of West Virginia, where most of the accounts have seen the monster. Uh, 
And also, not only do you imagine this weird, now either armless or thin-armed giant pawn, like a uh, chess pawn monster, but it's also been seen with a large pulsating red ball of light that hovered above or rested on the ground. So that's associated with the monster. So, so, so the all just believe it is a his powered craft. So it's like <laughs> like it's a weird oblong monster that also might have like a tiny go-kart of a spaceship that just kind of hangs out with See, it. See, I thought it was like uh, Link and he had like a little fairy with him. Oh yeah, I guess it could be advice. an IV. But at the time, because this was like the 1950s when it was first discovered. They didn't understand it. it. Yeah, it, it, Shigeru Miyamoto had not gotten to make Legend of Zelda. Had not yet gone he, into the woods to inspire he Zelda. He had not put on his human suit as, <laughs> yeah. as the Flatwood Monster. Yeah, exactly. The The earliest report is from September 12th, 1952. Again, the 1950s. Just think about it. Uh, two brothers, Edward and Fred May, and their friend Tommy, who are all ages 13 through 10, witness a bright object across the sky. They followed the noise into the woods where they encountered said monster. Uh, they also noticed they had a dog with them that as soon as they uh, were got close to it, the dog ran ahead out of sight and began barking frantically and moments later ran back with its tail between its legs. Oh, I, th- I was afraid they were like, and then its head no, was No, no, I am never on board. I leave don't the, the dogs alone. Leave monsters. the dogs alone, monsters and storytellers of monsters. Uh, after they went about a quarter mile, the group reached the top of a hill where they reportedly saw a large pulsating ball of fire about 50 feet to the right. They also detected a pungent mist that made their eyes and noses burn. So this monster, this monster smells. Sprayed them. <laughs> it has like a skunk smell. It has a skunk smell or just ate way too many bad McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. They, they then followed two more small lights over to the left of the object and underneath a nearby oak tree, they revealed with their flashlight the creature who emitted a shrill hissing noise before gliding towards them, changing direction and then heading off towards the red light. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> they ran home, contacted the local sheriff, Mr. Robert Carr, and Mr. A. Lee Stewart, co-owner of the Braxton Democrat, a local newspaper. They're doing their jobs. <laughs> As boys, they are immediately doing what they're supposed to do. They conducted a bunch of interviews and returned back to the site where we reported a sickening, burnt, metallic odor is still prevailing. So there was some sort of, like actual smell that adults who should have more sense noticed. Both a, a policeman and a newspaper smelled this metallic. A, 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 news, a newspaper man. Newspaperman. Yeah, uh, a living newspaper like the Bill from the uh, Schoolhouse Rock yes. cartoons. I'm just a Bill and going I'm into the woods looking for a monster I see there. They found no exact traces, uh, though Stuart visited the site of the encounter for a second time and discovered two elongated tracks in the mud, as well as traces of a thick black liquid. I bet he drank some of it. I bet he ate some of it. Like the 1950s good old boys probably like, mm, that's not oil. I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he does the thing like with like uh, hard narcotics cops do with the cocaine. He puts his thumb in it and then puts it in his mouth. He's like, yeah, <laughs> that's pure grade monster oil. Now, for a while, uh, as in that day, they assumed it might have been a UFO as there had been no traffic in the Woodlands area for a year. And then later found out it was just a 1940s pickup by a local named Max Lockhart who had gone to the site earlier to look for the alien himself. Oh, man, it so, was just truck so oil. That truck, I had to say some truck oil. Ah. Like, <laughs> uh. 
there were several more witness statements uh, and other accounts, including the story of a mother and her 21-year-old daughter, who should have, 21-year-olds, they got it mostly figured out, who claimed to have encountered a creature with the same appearance and odor a week prior to the September 12th incident. What? This is, the encounter reportedly affected the daughter so badly that she was confined to Clarksburg Hospital for three weeks. They also gathered a statement from the mother of Eugene Lemon in which she said that at the approximate time of the crash, her house had been violently shaken and her radio had cut out for 45 minutes. And a report from the director of the local board of education in which she claimed to have seen a flying saucer taken off at 6.30 a.m. on September 13th. So, here's the issue. Like, this is again the issue we always hit, is that this could have just been word of mouth circulated around town and right. get people like, yeah, I also saw something. Yeah, one person reports it, then other people say, yes, I also saw the same thing weeks ago, but didn't say anything yeah, for some reason. Yeah, I think reason. this one's interesting is that the sickness that uh, follows with encountering the monster. Wait, there was a sickness? Well, yeah, they already said before that they, the girl who was hospitalized, oh, the I smell, see. the sickness after encountering the creature, several members reported suffering from similar symptoms, which persisted for some time. These included irritation of the nose and swelling of the throat. Uh, Lemon suffered from vomiting and convulsions throughout the night and had difficulties with his throat for several weeks afterward. Uh, a doctor diagnosed the symptoms as similar to mustard gas. Wow. So, I mean, if you really want to get into it, it could be a, like, Let's say this is a real alien. Let's say this alien, like, yeah. carries people. You want to bail and get back to your ship. You drop smoke. You drop, like, <laughs> gas to cover your tracks. <laughs> you toss a flashbang. Yeah, you don't <laughs> fart and run, but you drop something to cover your tracks. Yeah. Uh, it has been very hardly disproved by different groups. Uh, I don't know if they're completely buying it. At the time, the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, which was then known as CSI COP. Oh, CISCOP. CISCOP, yeah. Concluded all the way later in 2000 that the bright light in the sky was most likely a meteor. Oh, interesting. And that the pulsating red light was likely an aircraft navigation hazard beacon. And then thus that the creature described by witnesses kind of sounded like an owl. <laughs> I don't think so, though. But they say it's just an owl. That sounds kind of Okay, so according to the skeptical inquiry, like, okay, it's guys, it's not an alien. What really happened was a meteor crash. Yeah, a meteor and then crash, a plane also flying, a random plane And landed. then a plane flying was like, uh-oh, dropped a, a, a beacon. And then when they dropped the beacon, an owl flew up and was like, what's deal with this meteor or this beacon? And then you saw all that. Right. I will say that the meteor was picked up uh, in three different states the night of the September 12th sighting in Maryland, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. So there are multiple... Uh, uh, witnesses didn't know even know about the alien. Said I saw a meteor. Okay. It's either a meteor or a spacecraft or something. Something from space flew by. So it's very likely they could have mistaken it for a craft. But they have like, oh, well, also that thing. That's not weird. That's also probably an owl. Like also concluded that the silhouette. The flight pattern and the call, the shrill thing it screeched at them, was the call of a startled barn owl just perched on a tree limb. I have <laughs> issues with that. I don't know. Like, I, either the either these boys were all dumb. And mistook a bird flying at them. A bird for, for a six... Like a five to six foot high monster, and then also just red lights were there, and also just happened to be a meteor. I think there's some claims to this. I think there's some proof. I, I mean, I, f I feel like nocturnal owls are an easy explanation for a lot of creatures. Oh yeah, that oh you see, please, uh, in the woods. Oh yeah, this this nickel guy from the CSI organization claimed that all of this stuff, which obviously uh, could have been seen, was distorted by the heightened state of anxiety felt by the witnesses after having observed the meteor. So he says the meteor is real, but the other to just hysteria. Nichols' conclusions are shared by a number of other investigators, including those of the Air Force, who we should totally believe. <laughs> uh, but the Mothman, 
and the Kelly Hopskinville encounter have also been dismissed by skeptics as owl sightings. So everyone's just owls. <laughs> Every, Every monster you've owl. ever encountered is just an owl in the woods. <laughs> I get that they're terrified, but they're not all owls. That's impossible. So this guy is called the Flatwoods Monster. The Flatwoods Monster. There's some weird references to the Flatwoods Monster in pop culture. Uh, the town has owned up to the legend, and there are monster-inspired Braxton County chairs that you can sit in that have been placed around the Braxton County. What does so, that mean? So you know, like, in a weird sense of lovingly tribute, they put out, like, giant statues of cows all over Chicago that artists are allowed to paint. And, okay. Like, so, so they made this is, weird chairs These are the chairs that you could get in the Braxton County. Please go to our Twitter account and our subreddit where we'll post pictures of the Braxton County <laughs> It monster. looks like they painted a light bulb and put a dress on it. Yeah, it's not at all a realistic-looking monster. I guess, as far as Aliens designs, it's kind of like Independence Day. It's terms like the the giant like diagonal head. That's a good point. Yeah. It's a little bit like that. So I wonder if they ever pulled it from that for as a as an inspiration. Uh, there are a few other more weird references to the monster in pop culture, including the 1988 NES video game Amagon, which I had never played, has a final boss that sure looks a lot like the Oh, that is absolutely him. Yeah, it's weird, just like a weird game where you punch and jump things and then just floating there is uh, the Flatwoods monster. It's the Flatwoods monster and you just punch in 8-bit graphics. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to put that on the uh, subreddit for yeah. you guys. Uh, that is the Flatwoods monster. I like it. <laughs> I don't like this whole owl excuse, so that's a bullshit. No, that's a little bit of a bullshit. I would like a better thing if it had just been like, oh, yeah, well, also there was a, sh- uh, at least just say, like, a plane was flying over by and a giant bear got out. Or I don't know, just say something that's more... A giant bear got coated in radioactive waste. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would more and more buy that. And also had a laser pointer. Had a laser pointer and then flew in terror, and that's what caused the sight. And they're like, I don't know what I just saw. It must be a monster. Because <laughs> their brains couldn't comprehend an owl and a, a skunk having sex. That sort of miscegenation between the species <laughs> was incomprehensible to a 1950s man. Yeah. For my next one, uh, I'm going to go to the opposite side of the world. All the way down under. Okay. Okay, please do this accent uh, the whole time. Australia actually has... <laughs> Just to say, uh, Australia. <laughs> Australia. Place of majesty. All I need to say. Uh, has a few fun little monsters of their own. I chose one. There was one I almost did, but it was it was more of a prank. It's called the Drop Bear. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've heard of the Drop Bear. Drop bear. I thought is that really was more a hip hop term. Drop bear. <laughs> Wait till this album drop bears. Well, you just know? like a ty- just like a certain rapper. I feel like we could be the called drop, drop bear. The drop bear is more of a prank that uh, Aussies will pull on their uh, Yankee counterparts, where they'll say, "Oh, there's a relative of the koala that has fangs that will jump down and beat your face off." So you got to be careful. <laughs> Wait, is it just all koalas? Is it just a koala that it's, attacks becomes the, a drop bear? The, apparently, they'll they'll take you on a tour guide. It's like a snipe hunt, and and. A tour guide will take you in, into the outback, and uh, he'll say, Bless "Oh, you. that's not a, that's not a koala. That's a, a drop bear." And there's all these photos of just koalas with fangs, and it's the stupidest thing. Just bad photoshops of koalas with fangs. Yeah, that's all drop bears. Yeah, and they have all these fake uh, remedies, like if you put Vegemite behind your ears, it'll keep them away. It's, it's, <laughs> it's all a prank. I think that's no. I think that's spread by Vegemite, the, the company industry. Anyway, but that's that's the dumb one. The cool one <laughs> is something called the bunyip. The bunyip or the Kian Prati 
is a large mythical creature from Australian Aboriginal mythology said to lurk in swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and waterholes. The origin of the word bunyip has been traced to the Wimba Wimba language of Aboriginal people of southeastern Australia. The word bunyip is usually translated by Aboriginal Australians today as devil or evil spirit. <laughs> just, just straight go to the devil. The descriptions of the bunyips vary widely. George French Angus may have collected a description of the bunyip in his account of a water spirit from the Murundi people uh, in 1847, stating, quote, It is much dreaded by them. It inhabits the Murray River, but they have some difficulty describing it. Its most usual form is said to be that of an enormous starfish. What really? Yeah, that but, is not what I. I mean, I guess just because the name, I'm expecting like a bunny monster. I know, I know. It's even weirder. It's not just a starfish, as we know. Australia already has some of the fucking weirdest things in the world. Yeah, like I'd, I'd platypi and echidnas being there out of anything. Honestly, uh, so. In truth, little is known amongst the Aborigines respecting its form, covering, or habits. They appear to have been in such dread of it as to have been unable to take note of its characteristics. That's literally out of H.P. Lovecraft. They couldn't see it. That is straight up. It was so horrifying, I can't describe to you. This is totally not a shortcut. I am taking it as a writer to just say that it's beyond description. Yeah. But boy, oh boy... Is that, is that scary? Real scary. I'm H.P. Lovecraft. So here's here are some common features that have cropped up from various people. Okay. They say, many 19th century newspaper accounts included a dog-like face, a crocodile-like head, dark fur, a horse-like tail, flippers, walrus-like tusks or horns, okay. and a duck-like bill. Okay, Australia, shut it down real quick. Hold on a second. And this is the photo that I found. Oh, no, that photo is insane. That is a H.R. Geiger monster. But it, this was done in 18. It's also like part instrument. It's part like musical instrument on top. Here, this is the thing. I feel like that's a great idea for this just a strange, obtuse, hard to comprehend thing that just lives in the swamps. I actually believe it for some reason. You can't just like throw a bunch of animal parts at the wall like your island of Dr. Moreau and just expect that to get away. I need more stru- rigid structure because if you search Bunyip, besides the picture you just showed me, the Bunyip depictions very vastly differ, more than most right. cryptozoology monsters we've ever seen. One looks like uh, the scarab uh, underwater crab things, like the horseshoe crabs. Mm-hmm. One looks like the alien from Alien. One looks like the lizard from Jurassic Park. And then one is just like, oh, it's just a it's just a bear. Like It's just it's a bear it's, crocodile. It's a bear crocodile with just a nice little like a long giraffe tail. Okay, sure. That's also what it is. Here's the thing, though. If there were any country that I would believe this actually would exist, it would be Australia. <laughs> oh, God. That is weird. That's just a... That's just a <laughs> sorry to cut that because there's no reaction to it. There's no yeah Australia craziest monsters. Why has there not been more legends in Australia? Is because is because there's no one else that ever leaves Australia. They just stay there and I think Australia has secrets, secrets to hide. Yeah, you know there are a lot of as far as countries go, uh, in terms of like uncharted areas where you think that there are, could possibly be monsters, we haven't we haven't talked about that before. Australia's got so much just wasteland area that no one ever really wants to be be in, other than quickly drive or fly over. Yeah, yeah, there totally could be stuff. Right, because we always put all of our stories in the American forest, but we've like cut down most of those. Yeah, like ninety percent of the Australian populace lives on the edges of of Australia because the middle is an inhospitable wasteland of death and nothingness. So, do we think people in Australia actually believe in the bunyip? Uh, 
I think the Aborigines do. I will say uh, the Bunyip is also a Final Fantasy monster. Of course it is. And it's actually the coolest design. I'll also put this up. The bu- the Final Fantasy Bunyip is like a big old rock crab that wants to give you a hug. Oh, yeah, he is. It's very cool. It has nothing to do with what I think the Bunyip lore is. So do you want to hear some additional encounters of the Bunyip? Please. Okay, so the, the Chalicum Bunyip was an outline image of a bunyip carved by aborigines into the bank of Fiery Creek near Ararat, Victoria, and was first recorded by the Australasian newspaper in 1851. According to the report, the bunyip had been speared after killing an aboriginal man, and then until the mid-1850s, aboriginal people would make a habit of visiting the place annually and then tracing the outlines of the figure of the bunyip, which was about 11 paces long and four paces in extreme Wait. breadth. It's tracing the outlines. The, like The death. They, they, or the, the dead body of the bunyip, they would draw an outline and kept redrawing it to show so how So they have the body. Well, here's the thing. The outline image no longer exists. It but, washed away. But where's the body? The body was probably eaten by the aborigines. What? No, hold on. I do not believe these aborigines had CS, CSI, let's call it like the actual CSI, the crime people. They had police procedural Outlines. Outlines. With like, their a, like, a, like an evidence body yes. line. But then just like instantly said, we should really remember to see how big it is. But let's also just chow down. <laughs> let's chow down. And I guess eat all the bones? They eat all the bones. They probably made them into more spears. Maybe maybe it's like a White Walker where you have to kill him with a special... Maybe it has no bones. That's also possible. It could be a The way it's described, it could really just be like a giant gel monster. Yeah. It may so maybe that was their way of preserving it. They didn't have formaldehyde. They just drew chalk outlines. Well, this is going to go bad within two days. We better eat all of it and uh, and hope for the best. I'll draw this outline in the sand. That doesn't go away, right? I'm an aborigine. Yeah. Uh, so Buckley, one of the adventurers in the outback in this oh, wild Buckley. west, they adorable Buckley. Uh, I had to fight the monsters. He had an account that suggested he saw a creature uh, on several occasions that matched the description of the bunyip. He adds, I can. Never see any part except the back, which appeared to be covered with feathers of a dusky gray color and seemed to be about the size of a full-grown calf. I could never learn from any of the natives if they had seen either the head or the tail. Buckley also claimed the creature was common in the Barwan River and cites an example he heard of an aboriginal woman being killed by one. He emphasized the bunyip was believed to have supernatural powers. Okay, though. I... Listen, that bunyip description, too, doesn't match any of the other bunyip descriptions. No, that one sounded like an emu. I'm going to pitch that I think Australia just has, you know, over the last 200 years, 20 to 30 pretty horrific creature monsters that we either killed. Yeah, like the dodo. Uh, the evolution just kind of ran out. Like, we ruined the environment in some way. And just they were never documented. And if you go to the Australian outback, they will murder you. That seems actually more likely. So the bunyip... I love the idea of the bunyip, but it sounds like he's pretty elusive as far as being described as one certain type of thing. You're right. It's a very amorphous. It could be a lot of different things that are kind of being pinpointed down into one thing. Uh, but there's been a lot of suggestions about what it could actually be. <clears throat> one hypothesis that was postulated in 1933 by Charles Fenner was that the original of the bunyip myth 
lies in the fact that from time to time seals have made their way up the Murray and oh, Darling no, River. Oh seals, are you okay? So it's just like seals that die and then probably uh, sopificate or whatever, turn into sludge. Oh, they're the, saying that the seals would be mis- mistaken for Mistaken a for the bunion. I, I guess. That one, I'm like, yeah, What? I don't think so. I think people know what seals look like. It also doesn't match any of the descriptions of the bunyip that we've heard so far. Here's a way more interesting theory. Okay. Is that some people suggest that the bunyip is a cultural memory, because as you may know, Aborigines go have lived on uh, uh, Australia for thousands of years. I need to ask years. you right now, are you getting into some Christopher Nolan storytelling territory with these yes. lived memories? They're living memory. But it's a cultural memory of them like passing generation down to generation from tens of thousands of years ago of extinct Australian megafauna, marsupials such as the Diptrodon, which a, is the largest ever mammal. A dire kangaroo. Yes, exactly. It's, it's a cultural <laughs> memory from ancestors past of encountering these giant monsters from a different that era. That would be so terrible and traumatic that you would just... But that's then implying that you just thought those memories were your own? Like you're inventing memories that didn't exist? Because, I mean, that's a great concept... But I don't have like memories from, say, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. I don't. Have, I would. That'd be great. I mean, he's going. Well, I think I fought Bigfoot. But well, also, I had a coonskin cap on. And- well, it's here's the thing. It's not just stories. They think that some Aborigines may actually have found and worshipped the bones of these megafauna. Mm-hmm. So they found like these giant skeletons and bodies that were from thirty thousand years ago. And due to the legends that have been sort of passed down uh, generation to generation, they said, "Oh, that's a bunyip." And that was their word for this that giant thing. sloth thing. But it also I thought, maybe, yeah, it also maybe attacks people. or And maybe a few survived into the 20th century, like out in the outback in secret. Yeah, I mean, as far as what, what are our last few uncharted areas, right? So we have rainforest. There's some rainforest areas where we still find yeah. some every once in a while. I believe rainforest. Bottom of the ocean. I don't think we got that much in America anymore. I think we got that all figured out. Uh, bottom of the ocean, Australia. And Australia. And I guess we haven't said Antarctic and... Yeah, it could be in the ice below the Antarctic shore. Or even just those areas. I would totally believe there's something above the ice surface, like some sort of thing monster... Nothing. Yeah, a not the rocky. Yeah, yeah, just something like a I could, Wapa. Uh, I think we should put Australia up on the board for possible territory areas. I I like to think that somewhere out there, a giant diptherodon was wandering around, just doing his thing, looking like a Lovecraftian shugath, mm-hmm. and then an Aborigine came up and speared him, and then they drew chalk outlines on it for generations. <laughs> then they ran away <laughs> and ran away and let it go. I I uh, I gotta think. I'm just gonna go with it. I think there's a, a decent chance too. Uh, baby bunyips probably pretty adorable. I think so. Pretty adorable. I, I would do, I would domesticate a bunyip. Oh my god, I would so have a bunyip. I would totally, totally go to pet supply. Like a plus. toy toy poodle, a toy bunyip. Oh my god, how you could breed them? <laughs> like Pokemon. <laughs> no, yes, but yes. My next entry for crypto uh, monsters is a bit of a weird softball, and. It is known as Gef, referred to as the Talking Mongoose or the Dalby Spook. What, like Ricky Ticky Tabby? Let me go on. <laughs> is the name given to a Talking Mongoose, which was claimed to inhabit a farmhouse owned by the Irving family uh, near the Isle of Man. And the story was given extensive coverage by tabloid press in Britain in the early 1930s. This was a fun- local-ish phenomenon. <laughs> 
So the Irving family lived and said they had uh, a pet slash guest slash magic monster creature. <laughs> what? Uh, known as Geft, the talking mongoose. Uh, Geft! <laughs> yep. There's a lot of people just the Irving. Here's the story of it. In September 1931, the right decade to be able to just get away with shit. <laughs> people are too poor to check on facts. Yeah, the Irving family consisted of James, Margaret, and their 13-year-old daughter named Vori, who is probably the cause of all of this. Now, Vori claimed that she constantly heard persistent scratching, rustling, and vocal noises behind their farmhouse's wooden wall panels that either resembled a ferret, a dog, or a baby. All of all, I hate all of those things. I hate it when I have babies in my, my walls. Oh, God, babies in the walls. Got to call exterminator. Just keep trying to hit it in the studs, and you can't <laughs> find it. So you got to spray for them. Yeah. According to the Irvings, and most people believe mostly to their 13-year-old daughter, Vori, a creature named Geff introduced itself and told them it was a mongoose from New Delhi, India. What the fuck India, is this? From 1852. Wait, wait, wait. It's a time-traveling mongoose? It's a, or, no, or it lived for uh, 80 years. More likely it just lived that long. And then time Rhett going into time travel aired. But why would he say I'm from eighteen fifty-two? Well then he was born. He's born in New Delhi, India in eighteen fifty-two. Okay. So Geff according to Vori, who I guess apparently saw Geff, he was the size of a small rat with yellowish fur and a large bushy tail. Okay. Uh, Geff communicated to them and said that he was, quote, an extra, extra clever mongoose. <laughs> An earthbound spirit, and also a ghost in the form of a mongoose. Pick one! No, it's all of those things. It's all of them and, at once. And once said, quote, I am a freak. I have hands and I have feet. And if you saw me, you'd faint. You'd be petrified, mummified, turned into stone, or a pillar of salt. This guy's like a fucking carnival barker. He's he's uh, the great gazoo from, <laughs> from Flintstones. Oh, dum-dum. Yeah. Don't look at me. You'll turn into salt. <laughs> the Irvings made various claims. This isn't just Vori. The entire family united together to make various claims about Geff. He supposedly guarded the house and informed them on the approach of guests or any unfamiliar dog, which is a detail that I love. <laughs> or hey, any so that means Gaff just came to like, hey, hey, there's a dog. There's a dog <laughs> coming. Thanks, Gaff. Go back and it's like he just vanished in a puff of smoke. I, I was born in 1852. See ya. He was a very much a helpful monster. So also he'd go on if if anyone had forgotten to put out the fire at night, Gaff would go down and stop the stove. And the Irvings also claimed Gaff would wake people up when they overslept. Very helpful. Whenever mice would get into the house, Geff would supposedly assume the role of the cat. I don't think it means he transformed into a cat. You just act as the house cat. He, so and, he was a so he's a lycanthrope. I well, I don't know. It sounds like he just got rid of mice by being his weird mongoose monster thing. Okay. Uh, though he said he preferred to scare the mice rather than to kill them. So he's really nice. Uh, the Irvings gave Geff biscuits, chocolates, and bananas and fed him by, weirdly enough, suspending a saucer from the ceiling, which How? he would take from when no one was watching. So it's not Why? just like, sit him down. I don't get that part. That's weird. The one, one thing like, was like, I have OCD! The only thing I think of is like, if you leave food out, you're going to get actual pests. You're going to get actual rats. But that's like, hey, Santa Claus, we left out milk and cookies, but here it is in this weird Rube Goldberg <laughs> contraption you have to collect to get to it. It's in the center of this pit of acid. Instead of the pit of acid. Yeah, it almost sounds like a trap. The Irvings also claimed the mongoose would regularly accompany them to trips to the market, but always stayed on the other side of the hedges, chatting incessantly. So it also would go with them everywhere, but just no one else saw it. No one else saw it. So can I say, right now, my impression is that this is uh, British newspapers or whatever spilling hundreds of, of gallons of ink 
discussing uh, a little girl's made-up imaginary friend. Y- yes, yeah. This uh, GEF became very popular in the tabloid press, and many journalists, probably because they were just looking for something besides these soul-crushing stories of war and poverty <laughs> and people dying at age 30, flocked to the Isle of Man to try and catch a glimpse of the creature. Several other people, locals and visitors, said they heard GEF's voice and two claimed to have seen it. So there was, but there was never been physical evidence. There's uh, footprints, stains <laughs> on the wall, uh, hair samples claimed to be evidence, all identified as belonging to Irving's sheepdog. So that was all. So just all the evidence away. was like it was just a dog. Yeah, uh, as were several photos which the Irving said claimed to depict Gap. So they're kind of hurting themselves. Margaret and Vory Irving left the home in 1945 after the death of James Irving. Maybe Gap killed him. Why didn't Gap save him? Gap, <laughs> why did you save my dad? Dad. They reportedly He's like, had, now I have your dad. <laughs> He's inside me. He's I'm all dead people. <laughs> they, they reportedly had to sell the farm at a loss because of the reputation of being haunted. Huh, isn't that ironic? Womp, womp. Isn't that such a strange twist of fate? Uh, a year later, Leslie Graham, the farmer who had bought their farm, claimed in the press that he had shot and killed Gap. No! The body displayed by Graham was, however, black and white and much larger than the famous Mongoose and Vory Irving was certain that it was not Geff. She died in 2005. In an interview published later in life, she maintained that Geff was not her creation. So, pretty likely Geff's not real. Yeah. Pretty likely. I think uh, there's been psychic investigators who went to check the place out, and a lot of critics definitely tried to disprove it. I mean, the fact that they said, this is Geff, and then they were just like, uh, no, that's a, that's a dog. That's clearly a dog. That's just a dog. Uh, I think what's very likely is that uh, the girl made up a story. And let's say, and this is the type of story you could have. This is, this is how I explain it. She starts making up the story about her little imaginary friend, and they're they're encouraging and, her imagination. And the neighbor's like, oh, so yeah, cute. The, the neighbors spread it around. And Did you becomes, hear about Gaff the Mongoose? Yeah, yeah Gaff the Mongoose. He's really adorable. Uh, and it spreads around the town enough that it creates a stir. And then these parents and family members, either they're already seeing the dollar signs in their eyes somehow, or fame and attention have gotten to them, and they continue the charade. Because <laughs> they clearly all bought in on it. Yeah. Like, the entire family, this dumb girl's story about a mongoose. This is like the, the 1930s version of the balloon boy. Because if if it's real, Gef is a god. <laughs> like, <laughs> Gef is not... He's like the, the Egyptian god of the afterlife, the crocodile. Yeah, even though he's described as a monster, I would honestly say at this point that he is a god. Uh, we never have dealt with a crypto monster. I know there's times like the Mothman and sort of stuff. There's never been a thing where so directly this crypto is just like, Hey, how's it going? My name's Jim. Here to talk to you about, uh, just talk about your uh, water still running upstairs. Bye bye. Just stop into the woods. Like this has never been the crazy, the craziest thing. There's a side story in 1937. Uh, there was a, a slander case between two people I haven't mentioned yet, between a man named Lambert and Sir Cecil Levita. After Levita suggested to a friend that Lambert was unfit to be on the board of the British Film Institute, Levita said that Lambert was quote off his head because he believed in the talking mongoose geff and an evil eye. Lambert, <laughs> Lambert was pressured to abandon his action by. Sir Stephen Tillens resisted it with it and won, receiving seven thousand six hundred pounds in damages, which is pretty good. That's pretty good for pretty 1937. Good, especially for 1937. Then an exceptional figure for a slander case awarded because Lambert's counsel managed to introduce a BBC memo which showed Lambert's career had been threatened if he persisted with the case. The case became known as 
the mongoose case. So, so Gaff- this is literally like it's like the ending of uh, Miracle on 34th Street or whatever. But instead of it just coming out with millions of letters for Santa Claus, instead it's just like, hey, you win this weird slander suit about a magic mongoose. Yeah, it's also kind of interesting to me that that basically this super intelligent. By the way, I like who always explains himself as I'm an extra, extra clever mongoose, dude. If you can talk, you could just say the extra. Like, there's you can no- just say I'm I'm the best mongoose. I'm the best mongoose ever. You don't have to even qualify like as far as ranking systems you are the best the best one but this exceptional mongoose who seemed to be living forever uh, and could just talk and, and detect things didn't really have a lot of powers honestly mm-hmm. other than not being caught decides to live with this fucking family that's the biggest flaw of all of it why <laughs> why this family if it had been like you lived on top of my home or whatever the story basis is like yeah. I, just, I just lived here but I'll live with you guys oh heartwarming story of Geth the mongoose there's, I don't follow it all. I love it. I love the idea of Geth, the exceptional mongoose. Here, here's how I, what I picture. If I were to, to go back in time mm-hmm. and, I, and I walked into a, a Geth situation, mm-hmm. I feel like I would walk into the family of whatever their names are. The Lamberts or the, the yeah, Irvings. Yeah, yeah, the Irvings. Yeah, totally, yeah. I would walk, walk into the Irving household, and then the the daughter would be like, "Papa, Papa, where are you? I see Gap. <laughs> I can hear Gap. He is coming. He's in the walls." And then behind Over. an old sofa would just be the dad awkwardly crouched behind, going, "Yes, I am Gap. I am in the walls. How are you, young Wait, girl?" Wait, are you explaining that the dad has just been doing it the whole time? The, I my theory is that the dad was gaslighting. Oh, the dad was gaslighting his daughter. And then it got out of control. That's also very likely. Which is why she is like, no, no, he was real. It wasn't me. That's very interesting. But then the dad would follow through with all the fake examples. And then before the dad could explain, like, no, no, it's okay. I, I made it all up. He died. Here's and then the daughter was like, that was real. I like that, too. I would almost actually say, I think the daughter was in on it. Because if not, the daughter would have said back, yeah, it's really weird that my parents thought the pictures of the dog looked like Geff. No, she was dumb. She was dumb. <laughs> and she decided to go out dying with their dumb, whimsical story of Geff. It's almost like a weird, touching, Oscar-winning movie. Where it just cuts, like, that's the end of the movie. Just like, I always believed in Geff. Like, Geff means something. Or Geff was actually, like, a small Jewish boy who lived in their cupboards or something. You know what? I- oh, my God, he was! Oh, my God, he was a small Jewish boy who lived in the cupboards! He was hiding. He was he- hiding from the Nazis. Does it work out? Does the timeline match up? Almost. And yeah, yes, it kind of does. It, yeah, it does. It would have been like, it would have had to start, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's what it was. The Rise of the Nazis. Sorry not to bring it into that territory, but. That's an Oscar winning movie right there. It's like, and, and we just told everyone as a gift, there's a weird story of like all the tabloid people coming here, like, tell us more about this fantastical boy. And yeah. then, like, there's totally a moment when the boy's like, who are you? Say what your name is. And then, he, and then he, he's like, ah, ah, and he looks at a, at a jar of gefilte fish and he goes, my name is Geth. <laughs> I think a climax of the movie is when uh, they're open the house for tours, I guess, at this point. And in walks top Nazi hunter. Augustus, whatever his name I'm is. Augustus von Klempt. From, from, from Glorious Bastards, like, I'm here to see your talking mongoose. It's just like kind of weird, like... I hear he has a very, very clever mongoose. Yeah, and just starts shooting through all the board panels and everything. <laughs> just like... Uh, Oscar bait. <laughs> I don't know what... You know what, if you wanted to easily make it a horror film, you have it, this heartwarming tale of the girl that's like, yeah, Gaff was real, Gaff was real, I believe it on her deathbed. It's like, I knew you were always real. And then Gaff <laughs> appears before her as she's dying, and then he says, now you're mine. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so I have one last cryptid monster man Take us home. thing. Uh, this is what I've wanted to do for a while, and it's a Filipino. It is a Filipino monster from Southeast Asia mm. known as the Manangal. Okay. Wait, no, wait. The mango? It's the Manangal. I am looking at that written on your piece of paper, and that looks like you just held the end button a long, <laughs> long, long time. The Manangal, sometimes confused with the Wakwak is a mythical creature of the Philippines, a malevolent, man-eating, and blood-sucking monster or witch. It's described as hideous, scary, often depicted as female, and capable of severing its upper torso and sprouting huge bat-like wings to fly into the night in search of its victims. Wait, what? The word menanangal comes from the Tagalog word for tangal, meaning uh, to remove or to separate, which literally translates as remover or separator. In this case, it's one who separates itself. Okay. The name also originates from an expression used for a severed torso. Uh, it's said that they mostly prey on sleeping pregnant women and use an elongated proboscis-like tongue to suck the hearts of fetuses. Dude, you are blowing my mind right now. This is uh, a monster in an upcoming horror game that just came out. Well, there you go. I was going to say, this sounds exactly like, I will just say real quick, if you want to look this up, uh, the new indie horror game Devastated Dreams, which takes place in the Philippines and has some horrifying monsters, definitely has you playing as a pregnant woman. Pregnant-ish. I'll be nice. I'll be nice to her. It's pregnant-ish. Has somebody's a baby. As you run through the area, uh, and this exact creature attacks you. Oh, Jesus. No! That is the monster. Oh my god! That is, the, that is a torso top monster with a long proboscis tongue killing the pregnant woman and oh like my just god. devouring. That's the monster you just described. I well, just, that, I just that is that. a mananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananan
Because then you can go to the petting zoo, and then, like, that's where the big climax is. All the stingrays what? rise up and go... The, wait, is there a stingray petting zoo? Is that a thing? Yeah. But theoretically, just when you say a whip, like, does it have to be a whip, or can a stingray just sting you? I think that's just the traditional way to kill them. Okay, I'm just saying, then. like, if it has to be a whip, it's like, is it, you have to pick up a stingray out of the, the, the petting pool, and, like, yeah, and, like, yeah. whip the stingray at them. So... Manangnagals are sometimes referred to as a teak teak, which is the sound it makes when flying. No! Like, I don't like that at all. Folklore dictates that the fainter the sound, the nearer the Manangal is. That was so cute, and then you, when you said it as an actual chittering, it wasn't cute. Like, I know. oh, teak teak. Oh, oh and it's Not like cute. the fainter it is, the closer it is. So, uh, so you think it's going away, but it's actually getting closer to That you. seems like an unfair advantage. Yeah, this is to confuse the victim. Black cats and crows often signal a teak teak's presence and deformed faces or bodies and children are allegedly signs of the, of the aftermath of a teak teak Why not just make sounds then if it's going to be that smart about it? So here's why I think that maybe this thing might not, maybe it doesn't exist but I feel like I've blown this thing wide open <laughs> You and think that, you figured out? The, the Monagnagal okay. because I found numerous other creatures that are almost exactly the same from different cultures across the world in Bali, there's something called the Layak, which are humans who practice black magic and have cannibalistic behavior. Their mistress is the queen of Layak, mm-hmm. but they haunt graveyards, feed on corpses, and have the powers to change themselves into animals. But they also have an, an unusually long tongue, like a proboscis, and large fangs. They appear as an ordinary human, but at night their head and entrails break loose from their body and fly. And then they will eat your organs. I guess that's kind of similar. The animal thing is kind of a curveball. We can just turn I'm just saying animals. it has it has transformation abilities. I mean, I guess maybe there's like, maybe there's just different uh, breeds and different <laughs> of not because it's not like what we're suggesting is this isn't a, one monster. This is an important distinction. This sounds like more like multiple monsters. Yeah, it's di- it's different to subspecies of the same species. Yeah, yeah okay, so it's more in Cambodia. The Krasu or a Kasu in Laos is a nocturnal female spirit of Asian folklore and manifests itself as a woman usually young and beautiful with her internal organs hanging out from the neck trailing below the head and then after detaching her head and flying around at night she looks for blood and then will come home and immerse her entrails in a vat of vinegar in order to shrink them for easy entry back wait, to her body. Wait, I'm sorry. So wait, so hold on. This monster prepares a nice tub of vinegar for her evening. Yeah, for like a hard day of baby But signing. like, is she going to the store to get it? Is she like shopping during the day and like, oh, it's gonna be a big night? Yeah, I assume she looks like a normal person. During and then, the day. and then she shrinks her. That's a complex one. So in Chile, mm-hmm. which is uh, where our adventure began today, uh, the chonchon <laughs> is a mythical bird from the Mapuche religion. Remember where the Mapuche yeah, came the, in? Yeah, Mapuche the dog. It's a sorcerer who can transform into this creature with a magic cream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, hold on. <clears throat> wait. And Wait, then become like he just the creature. Rubs a cream on. Yeah, he rubs a cream on and becomes the creature. Uh, it has the shape of a human head with feathers and talons, so it can fly. Its ears are extremely large and serve as wings. And then they they get their magic powers by flying through uh, the streets and eating people's brains or whatever. Okay. Uh, but then the, they're known for their cry of or I gotta say none of these other ones are going for pregnant ladies. There's something about the Philippines one that's just like they drink the blood of sleeping babies but like but that's different than being pregnant but i mean i'm saying i'm semantics i'm arguing semantics over our baby eating monsters but i'm just pointing out that the philippines one seems to be into i'm gonna go after the easiest prey in the world which is 
pregnant women who are slow moving and well, a lot of these are. Here's one in Mexico. The bloodsucker Chalapuchi is a prominent in the Mexican state of Zaxacla. Zaxacla. You probably said it close. I, yeah. You probably it's it. able to for change form by detaching their body from their legs, and then they go hunting in the form of a bird or a vulture, and then they shapeshift and suck the blood of infants at night. They're all the same. Little, yes, slight variations. It's like rock and roll music in different countries. It's all got a little different sound to it. I just discovered... I do think that's interesting. It's a worldwide conspiracy to block the existence of these flying monsters that eat babies. The biology babies. doesn't even really make sense, though. Like Charging stations, man. Biology charging stations. Yes. What are the legs doing? Like, that's the question no one's answered yet. Like, what are the, so it flies off. Yes. Do the legs fall to the ground? Do the legs just kind of, like, roam? Do the legs, like... Is it like the Batmobile where it just kind of, like, can, you know, perpetually keeps patrol? And whatever you need, it just kind of like shows up. I like to think that it's just doing squats the whole time. Okay, yeah, I just like to think that it's like like the Batmobile, like in Dark Arkham Knight, you just push a button, and then the bat top part just swoops down, and then the legs just like sprint out of the brush, yeah, and they sync and up they perfectly, go, and they just keep go, running, and it, just, it just screams and even fly more. Fly off, and just like <laughs> <runs> <laughs> <into> <laughs> the woods. because the cops are probably chasing the whole time. Yep, that's insane. So that is it's gonna, there's gonna be stuff caught in the monster too when it's flying. So like let's say you have open entrails all hanging out. It's yeah. not sealed below, right? No, like no, you got so just you're guts. picking up like some bugs and stuff. Like when you're you know it's like that's all wet meat organs. Yeah. Like you're gonna get some dirt. You're gonna get some flies. You get some flies and some dirt. It's just gonna be a real bad time. Gonna be have a real bad time. Look, that was just because they're inelegantly designed <laughs> does not mean they don't exist. Also, I don't know if they like do they reform like when they is it just kind of like when a, a, a cup on a coaster we're just kind of like sliding around on top the whole time, or when it matches up to the, the organs like tie themselves back together. I like to think it's it resembles uh, when you have a boiled egg in those little egg cups. Yeah. So you can you got all the goopy stuff in there Ugh. if you want. Oh, I just shuddered. <laughs> I just shuddered completely. But it makes a nice meal. All right, that's a pretty that's a pretty good find. So that was the Manenengengal and its international cousins. It's, it's it's family of top top heavy flying bat gut people bat that, gut that eat baby things. hearts. Eat baby, eat baby hearts. <laughs> So that about wraps it up for this episode of Cryptids. Yeah, there's a lot more we could do. We're going to hold on to them for the next episode. Yeah, we could do hours upon hours. Uh, Hopefully you guys like this one. Uh, Also, by the way, we never offer this. If you have suggestions, I don't think we ever offer. If you have suggestions for another episode, uh, you got some topics, please send our way. Uh, We would love to read them and try to build an episode around them. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Send it our way. You can email us at paranoiashop, that's that's S-H-O-P-P-E at gmail.com, or you can Twitter us at Paranoia Shop or Good Aaron or Quantum Theory. You can figure out which one of us is which one of those. Yeah. Also, if you haven't checked it out already, we're getting a growing presence on our subreddit. There's a lot of great contributors there. Uh, they've created the Order of the Hallowing Eye. You, yeah, you never said a more ominous phrase than a growing presence. <laughs> a growing presence beckons. Uh, check out the subreddit. There's been a lot of great uh, posts there, and we encourage you to participate. And, you know, we're there. We reread them and stuff. Read all of them. You guys have been great paranoia shoppers, I have to say. Uh, we've also gotten some pretty great stuff. Uh, we need to find a way to more easily uh, spread out the awesome stuff you guys send our way. We're working on that. 
You guys have been great. Also, if you want to help out the show, besides being an awesome listener and interacting on our subreddit and on Twitter, uh, tell a friend about the show. We see you guys uh, telling other friends about it on social media like Twitter. Yeah, really uh, cool. Uh, at Kev Bobbitt, at Marlo Cakebug, S. Steve A. Daniels, Quitzenizer, Luke O'Connorable, Sober, Sober Dwarf. Armory the Iceberg. All really cool, guys. All, it really it means a lot. Uh, telling people about the show is huge. Send them your favorite episodes, send them your favorite clip. Also, the other way to help the show is go on iTunes, even if you don't use iTunes, and leave a nice review uh, about the show. I guess kind of nice, at least somewhat nice, mm-hmm. about the show. Uh, you can find us on iTunes at Paranoia Shop. And why don't you also go over to the network that we're part of, Explosive Magico, and leave them a nice review and check out the other cool shows as well. There's awesome yeah. stuff. Uh, like LOLJK, uh, let's see, Climax. I co-host a book review, sci-fi book review, called My Arms Are Lasers, which is pretty fun. Uh, there's a bunch of really cool stuff to check out. Go give them a nice review as well. That is honestly the best way to help out the show, even if you don't use iTunes. It means a lot to us, for sure. Speaking of fans sending us awesome things, though, we recently received an incredible uh, piece of fan art. I guess you could call it that. It's art. It's art. A piece of artwork from our fan, Nat, who said, Hey, Shopkeeps, Nat C. here once again. Happened to hear you guys on the internet airwaves again. Had some free time today and decided to spend it on creating a numbers station-style cryptogram for you guys. I had a lot of fun making it and would love to make some more. But here's a wave to send your way to play on the air. Uh, So, uh, without further ado, we are going to leave you with hearing this special number station premiere specifically <laughs> for you said up like it's a top 40 uh single drop it kind of is though like oh coming down from the charts right after Maroon we, we had i think we we made a j- offhanded joke about paranoia shop having its own number station we never thought yeah, in a million years one. and the nazi comes down like an amazing demon bat warrior meteorite with with an excellent number station uh so we're not going to give you Full details of the number station. It is yours to decipher. There yeah, is a cipher to figure out. We're not going to tell you as well. Yeah. Uh, if you want updates and clues, I suggest you guys start going onto our subreddit, which is r slash paranoia shop. And we'll have more details for it there, uh, guys. Paranoia shop is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, paranoia shop is fun. If if you want one clue to start with how to decipher this particular number station. Let's just say Vinignier. <laughs> it's not a joke. I just like how you dropped the clue. Vinignier. Vinignier. Maybe you might want to. Uh, I'm just going to spell that clue for you in RuPaul's Mystery. It's V I G E N E R E. You might want to look that up and I'll start you sending it on the, on the right path. That was, that was one of the clues in this episode yeah. that we dropped to you very subtly. Yep. Uh, guys, enjoy the number station. We love you all. We'll see you very, very soon. The monsters are real. And remember, the howling eye stares up at you. I don't fucking remember it. The howling die stares and also looks down at you. Hashtag 420 blazes. <laughs> That's right. Sorry. <laughs> all right. See you guys. Bye-bye.
スキー、パパ、ゴルフ、タンゴ、ノーベンバー、エコー、リマ、ウィスキー、ウィスキー、ケベク、リマ、ジュリエット、エックスレイ、ユニフォーム、キロ、ズル、プラボー、エコー、タンゴ、ゴルフ、エックスレイ、プラボー、デルタ、ロミオ、オスカー、ホテル、ミスキー、ユニフォーム、エコー、リマ、ジュリエット、キロ、ジュリエット、ズル、プラボー、エコー、ユニフォーム、ズル、フォックストラット、チャーリー、キロ、エクスレイ、ジュリエット、ビクター、マイク、デルタ、ヤンキー、デルタ、タンゴ、チャーリー、アルファ、キロ、ジュリエット、ロミオ、ケベク、シアラ、チャーリー、オスカー、シアラ、ホテル、プラボー、パパ、プラボー、アルファ、デルタ、プラボー、ケベク、ズル、パパ、アルファ、オスカー、インド、ユニフォーム、エコー、プラボー、デルタ、マイク